Welcome to the Word Podcast. The Lord God has given us His Word. Let us learn it. Let us live it. Let us rejoice in it. Spread the Word. Blessings, everybody. This is Dale. Thank you so much for joining with me on the Word Podcast. We continue our examination of the Gospel of John. We're in chapter 12. Uh, really, we went up through verse 19 um, several <laughs> episodes ago, and we've chased some cross-references related to what happened when Jesus came into Jerusalem. So let's just start there at verse 18 again. i tell you what, I'm reading from the ESV today. I may bounce back and forth a couple of versions. So John chapter 12, verse 18. <clears throat> the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. What the sign is talking of is the sign of raising Lazarus from the dead. Verse 19, so the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing. Look, <clears throat> the world has gone after him. And we talked about that a few episodes ago, how the Pharisees were uh, now having infighting among them because they had been wanting to uh, seize him. They'd been wanting to capture him. They'd been wanting to arrest him. Now they've reached a point where they want to kill him because they want to kill him and Lazarus because what are they going to do? And they've already talked about in the high priest that said, hey, it's better for one man to die than to lose our power and position and lose the nation. That's their mindset. Now they're fighting and squabbling among one another because of what they said. The whole world has gone after him. Well, that's hyperbole, no doubt, but it communicates the idea that many, many were following him and were believing him. You see the same thing in Acts when a couple, I think it was Peter and John, but I'm not sure, were hauled before uh, the religious rulers, and and they were described as these who are turning the world upside down. And you know, it's sort of a sad thing because that's what we are called to do as the body of Christ. That is what we are called to do as those that have been transformed and continue to be transformed and conformed into his image as kingdom people. We are to be turning the world upside down. We are not doing that. We don't do that, and we allow the world to turn us upside down okay we have it flipped upon us so anyway the pharisees are furious about this so verse 20 says this and now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some greeks and so you see this throughout the uh, new testament that there are god-fearing greeks okay they're greeks they're not jews but they know that or they suspect that the god of the jews the god of israel is the true god and so they will actually come into times of worship. There's actually a court of the Gentiles in the temple complex. And in synagogues, they would allow them to stand uh, like up in a balcony, sort of outside behind a wooden lattice type of thing to where they could hear what's going on, but they weren't really a part of it. Um, and this was not a small number of people. There were a lot of people who were God-fearing Greeks. So there were some of these God-fearing Greeks that had come to worship at the feast. Okay, the feast of Passover, they came up and be a part of it. Verse 21, so these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that a great line? <laughs> They'd heard about him, they knew about him, but now they said, we wish to see him. We desire to see him. So here the Greeks come up, approach Philip. So what does Philip do? Verse 22, Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. <clears throat> then verse 23 says this, and Jesus answered them. So uh, what's the request? The request is, hey, there's some of these Greeks that wish to see you. Okay, 
And Jesus responds to this. What would you think his response would be? You know, what were the, what are the options? Well, yeah, sure, bring him on. That's one response. Uh, no, not right now. I don't have time. <laughs> That's another response. When you see what Jesus says, and we're not going to be able to go through it because it starts, all of it today, starts in verse 23. How far down does this go? It goes to verse um, uh, 28, basically, and just this initial response. <clears throat> when you see the response, it's like he's ignoring the request, <clears throat> or he's really not <clears throat> paying attention to the request. But it says here that Jesus answered them. So he responded to them. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Went and told Jesus what? That there's a group of Greeks here that would like to see you. They wish to see you. So listen to what Jesus says, verse 23. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Uh, okay. <clears throat> Philip, Andrew, come up and say, Hey, Jesus, there's some Greeks over here. They want to meet you. They want to talk with you. His response is, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He had been talking for a long period of time now about how the Son of Man would die, okay, and how things were to come in the future. He's now saying, the hour has come. And the next verses we'll read in just a moment, he starts talking about his death and dying and what happens and why this is necessary. And you think, well, what does this have to do with the request? <clears throat> Well, it has nothing to do with the request per se, but it does. Because Jesus, I think, is saying this. You know, the hour has come for me to be glorified. The hour has come to where we're moving beyond this people meeting me. People doing this, people doing that. The hour has come of which purpose I came to start with, okay? And it's not that he's refusing to meet these folks, this kind of thing. He's letting them know something has changed <clears throat> something has happened. So listen to this, verse 23 again. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, <clears throat> it bears much fruit. So he's given them an idea about something. He'd been talking to his immediate disciples. Uh, the 12, about that he was going to go to Jerusalem, that he's going to be betrayed, and he was at the hands of the religious rulers, and he was going to die. Okay, He's been telling them that. Well, now he's telling some things about death. He said, just look in the natural. A grain of wheat is just a grain of wheat by itself, but first it must die. It must be planted in the ground, and when it dies and is planted, then it will bear much fruit. He continues, verse 25, whoever loves his life, loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And he is saying so much right here. And we've already seen in John chapter 11, chapter 12, that um, the disciples were going, you know, we didn't really understand this. And John said they didn't understand it at that time. But then later on, they did understand what Jesus is saying. So what's he saying right here? Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Does that mean that we're supposed to uh, actively hate the fact that we're alive today? No, 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 no. <clears throat> He's dealing with perspective. He's dealing with understanding. Whoever loves his life loses it. If you are loving your life and you are exalting yourself and what you see in the balance of the Scripture, if you're not dying to self on a daily basis, if you're not dying, then you're not truly living. 
And when he says, if you hate your life in this world, in other words, your life in this corporeal existence isn't what the most important thing. It's the life in the spirit and what the Lord wants to do in and through us. If you do that, then you're going to keep it for eternal life. In other words, what are you looking at? Are you looking at uh, all the stuff and everything that uh, tempts us in this life and you're motivated by that? Or are you motivated by the life of righteousness, the life of holiness, abiding in him, as we'll see later on, and keeping that for eternal life? That's what he's pointing to. And this is the response that he gives uh, to the request of the disciples of those who want to see him, that his hours come, that just in the same way that a grain of wheat is planted brings forth much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. So he's saying, I don't love my life. I'm willing to lay down my life. And he's going to build upon that in the subsequent verses. Well, our time's up. We'll continue this next time together. Again, I'm Dale. Thank you so much. I'll see you then.